you could be walking around, feeling fine, and have high blood pressure without even knowing it. Why does it even matter? Let me give you four reasons. Your heart, your brain, your kidneys, and your eyes. Yes, hypertension can affect all of those organs and cause heart attack, stroke, kidney failure, and vision loss. In fact, heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, and one of the biggest risk factors is hypertension. It isn't called the silent killer for nothing. You're listening to Healthy Looks Great on You, a lifestyle medicine podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vicki Petz-Casper. This is episode 108, Four Reasons to Control Your Blood Pressure. Do you know your numbers? What's your blood pressure? It's recommended that you get it checked every 6 to 12 months because over time, high blood pressure, called hypertension, puts your vital organs at risk. Let's start by reviewing some basics. First of all, what is blood pressure? Simply put, it's the pressure inside the blood vessels. And think of your blood vessels like a hose. Pressure is necessary to push blood into your vital organs. It's like turning on the faucet to water your lawn. You don't want to drip. And your body's organs are kind of demanding when it comes to getting oxygen. They've got to have it, and it's carried by the blood. So if more pressure is needed to get it there, then it will happen, no matter what it takes. Simply put, blood pressure is a measurement of the force inside your arteries whenever your heart beats. Think of your heart as the pump and the arteries as a pipeline to carry blood to the rest of the body. Huh, you thought you were coming to learn a little medicine, but this resembles plumbing, doesn't it? When you hear the word blood pressure, maybe you picture a sphygmomanometer, even though you may not have ever heard of that word. A sphygmomanometer is the little gauge on a blood pressure cuff. You know, the nurse comes in and wraps it around your bicep and then starts pumping up that little bulb until you feel like a tourniquet around your arm is about to pinch it off. And just when you're ready to cry uncle, they release the pressure valve and you feel your pulse bounce along with the needle on the numbers. And when it comes to blood pressure, it's all about the numbers. There are two of them. The top number is the systolic blood pressure and the bottom number is the diastolic pressure. A normal systolic blood pressure is less than 130 millimeters of mercury, and a normal diastolic blood pressure is less than 80 millimeters of mercury. So if the blood pressure is greater than 130 over 80, that's called hypertension. Where do they come up with these numbers? Well, it's based on the incidence of heart disease in a population. People with a blood pressure above the defined normal range have a greater incidence of heart disease. The goal of managing blood pressure at what's called a normotensive level is to protect end organ damage. In other words, managing blood pressure focuses on the end result. That's why it's important to know your numbers before damage occurs. Who gets high blood pressure? We are all at risk. And if you're over the age of 60, the chance you have hypertension is greater than 50%. And the biggest problem is, you may not even know it. Many people have no symptoms, and that's why they call it the silent killer. Did you know that high blood pressure is the single most common reason people go to the doctor and take long-term prescription medications? Yet, only about half of patients with hypertension succeed in achieving good control of their blood pressure. But there is hope. 
because control is possible. Now, the recommendation is to always prescribe lifestyle modification to patients with elevated blood pressure. It's not always recommended to prescribe medication, but here's the problem. While doctors know that lifestyle modification is important, they may not have the training to help you implement those lifestyle changes, nor the time it takes to individualize a plan for you so you're successful. And let's be honest, a lot of patients would rather take a pill. It's definitely easier. But let me tell you, the hard work of lifestyle change is worth the effort. Now, of course, the diagnosis of hypertension is not based on a single reading. It's critical to measure the blood pressure outside the doctor's office to rule out white coat syndrome. You're probably familiar with this term that refers to people who get anxious about going to the doctor and that makes their blood pressure go up. Measuring blood pressure at home is important in making the diagnosis and following progress towards control. Years ago, I took my mom to see a new cardiologist and her blood pressure was through the roof. He asked her if she had high blood pressure and she said, no, I have white coat syndrome. Now, despite the fact that her very own daughter is a doctor, my mom gets really nervous when she goes to the doctor. He looked at her and asked a very important question. Ma'am, what is your blood pressure when you're not at the doctor? And she said, well, I don't know. I never check it. He said, you don't have white coat syndrome. You have high blood pressure. Knowing your numbers is important in taking control of your own health. You can buy a home blood pressure monitor at any pharmacy or big box store. And I put a link in the show notes too. To make sure you're getting an accurate reading from your blood pressure cuff, take it with you to the doctor and let them compare the reading to what they're getting in the office. When taking a blood pressure, technique is important. I started my medical career as a nurse's aide in a community hospital, and taking a blood pressure was the most complicated thing I did. I had to make sure and put the cuff on correctly and use the right size. Then I had to put my stethoscope in the crook of the arm and hold it with two fingers, not my thumb. And I listened really close for that first sound and made a mental note of the number on the meter then waited for the last time it sounded and noted that number. Yes, I know I'm dating myself. Now it's much easier to get a digital reading. Before measuring your own blood pressure, empty your bladder, sit and relax in a quiet room for five minutes. Don't run in the house on two wheels with your hair on fire and take your blood pressure standing at the kitchen counter. Avoid caffeine and smoking for 30 minutes. Actually, avoid smoking altogether, but I know that's easier said than done. Uncross your legs and sit in a chair that supports your back and your arms. Bare your arm by either putting on a short sleeve shirt or rolling up your sleeve. Position your arm at the level of your heart. And when it comes to blood pressure cuffs, size definitely matters. If your arm is big, you may need a large cuff or even extra large. Wrap the cuff around the upper arm just above the bend of the elbow. It should be taut and not sliding around on your arm but you should be able to slip two fingers under the edge. Measure once in the morning, once in the evening, and record it in a log for a week. Then you'll want to throw out the first day and average the next 12 measurements. Look at the average, and if it's greater than 130 over 80, you probably have hypertension. I have provided a blood pressure log and downloadable step-by-step instructions, as well as a cuff sizing chart in the show notes. You can print them and measure your blood pressure for a week. Now that you have an idea about how to monitor your blood pressure, let's discuss risk factors for hypertension. There are some you can modify, 
and some you don't have any control over. Age, family history, race, and social determinants are not within our control. But others such as obesity, high sodium diet, excessive alcohol consumption, physical inactivity, and insufficient sleep can be changed. Now, I didn't say it would be easy, but you can change them. Now would probably be a great time to remind you to subscribe to this podcast by email and receive a free mini course on lifestyle change. It's a great way to take those first steps towards a healthier lifestyle. There's a link in the show notes. As we look at contributing causes, there are some medications that affect blood pressure like birth control pills, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and Aleve, antidepressants, steroids, decongestants, some weight loss medications, and antacids with sodium. And of course, stimulants like amphetamines, which are used for ADD. Other contributing factors are kidney disease, sleep apnea, Cushing syndrome, thyroid disease, and pheochromocytoma, which is a rare, weird tumor on the adrenal gland. On that note, I think we need to go to mini medical school and learn a little physiology. Plasma volume is one of the biggest determinants of blood pressure. Let's see if I can make this simple. Think about a balloon being filled with water. The more water you put in, the more the balloon stretches because it's elastic. Your blood vessels are the same. Well, not really the same, but you get the idea. Blood vessels have to stretch when there's more fluid flowing through them. Whether it's a balloon or a blood vessel with more volume, there's more pressure. The sympathetic nervous system regulates how wide or how narrow the blood vessels are at any given moment. This is mediated through the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. This is made up of hormones, proteins, enzymes, and reactions secreted through the kidneys to cause dilation and constriction of blood vessels. The kidneys are super important in controlling blood pressure by regulating salt absorption, water reabsorption, and vascular tone. Remember, pressure is necessary to get blood to vital organs. When your blood pressure drops, your kidneys secrete renin, which splits angiotensin, a protein made in the liver. One of the byproducts is angiotensin 1. Now, let's stop right there and have a little vocabulary moment. Angio comes from a Greek word that means vessel. When you hear it in a medical context, think blood vessel. Next, there's an enzyme called angiotensin converting enzyme, or ACE. See, that made sense, didn't it? It comes from the lungs and kidneys and splits the inactive hormone angiotensin 1 into pieces, and that leaves you with angiotensin 2, which is active. If I've lost you, here's what you need to know. This hormone causes small blood vessels to constrict. What happens if you pinch a water hose? The force gets greater. Well, the same thing happens in the body. When the muscular walls of the arteries narrow, blood pressure increases. But wait, there's more. Angiotensin 2 also stimulates the adrenal glands to secrete aldosterone, the pituitary to secrete vasopressin, otherwise known as antidiuretic hormone. Diuretic is probably a familiar word to you. It means to get rid of excess fluid. Remember the water balloon analogy? More fluid, more pressure. So antidiuretic hormone causes fluid retention and therefore higher pressure. Aldosterone and antidiuretic hormone gang up on the kidney and cause it to retain sodium and excrete potassium. All of this raises blood pressure. You'll understand why this is so important in a minute. Secretion of angiotensin causes the blood vessels to narrow, which means more pressure is needed for blood flow. 
That in turn makes the heart work harder to pump. We are way out in the weeds now. Do you even remember why hypertension is a big deal? That's right. I knew you were listening. Over time, increased blood pressure damages vital organs like the heart, brain, kidneys, and eyes. That's four good reasons to make sure your blood pressure is normal. Wait, that's actually six good reasons because we have two kidneys and two eyes. Hypertension is strongly linked to an increased risk of heart disease, including blockage of the arteries, heart attacks, and heart failure. It also increases the risk of stroke and causes kidney damage. Remember, it's all about the blood vessels carrying oxygen to those organs. When the blood vessels get stiff or constrict, too much pressure is needed, and that's not good. Hypertension is the single most common modifiable risk factor for premature heart disease. Yep, even more than smoking, more than high cholesterol, and more than diabetes. On top of that, people with high blood pressure may also be overweight and physically inactive, and it's a snowball effect if you have more than one risk factor. As blood pressure goes up, so does the risk of having a heart attack. Since you're taking this mini medical school class, I'm going to let you in on a secret. If you're between the ages of 20 and 79, you can actually calculate your risk of having a heart attack over the next 10 years. You'll need to know your blood pressure and your cholesterol level. And if you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you a link to that questionnaire that's used by doctors next week. Of course, there's a link in the show notes. It's seven-day prescription for change. Once the diagnosis of hypertension is made, your primary care provider needs to look for evidence of any target organ damage to the heart, kidneys, or eyes. That requires a physical exam and review of current medications. Lab work should include electrolytes, creatinine, glomerular filtration rate, fasting glucose, urinalysis, complete blood count, thyroid stimulating hormone, lipid panel, and an EKG. Now that you understand how important it is to control blood pressure, let's shift gears and talk about what can be done about hypertension. The first line treatment for high blood pressure that should be recommended by all healthcare providers is lifestyle modification. Your doctor will consider medications if your blood pressure is greater than 135 over greater than 85, especially if you have cardiovascular disease diabetes, chronic kidney disease, if you're older than 65, or if your 10-year risk is greater than 10%. Remember, I'll send that calculator out next week. Some people do need medication to control high blood pressure, but not everyone. While everyone doesn't need a pill, everyone does need a prescription for lifestyle modification. And people with high blood pressure need to pay particular attention to diet with a laser focus on salt restriction and dietary potassium intakes. It's important to be under the care of a physician because potassium gets tricky if you have kidney disease or take certain medications. Remember, salt causes fluid retention. Likely you've noticed if your hands are puffy after pouring soy sauce over your hibachi. Remember, more salt, more volume, higher pressure. Less salt, less volume, lower pressure. Now, I'm going to give you a rule of thumb. If you look on a label... And remember, your homework assignment is to be reading labels. If you see that there's more sodium than there are calories, then that's too much sodium. Most doctors recommend the DASH diet, which stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. It's a diet high in veggies, fruits, low-fat dairy, whole grains, poultry, fish, and nuts, but low in sweet, sugar-sweetened beverages, and red meats. 
It's rich in potassium, magnesium, calcium, protein, and fiber, but low in saturated fat, total fat, and cholesterol. Other lifestyle interventions include exercise. The recommendation is aerobic and resistance training for 40 minutes, three to four times a week. And limit alcohol intake. Women should have no more than one drink per day and no more than two drinks a day for men. There's what's called a J-curve response between alcohol consumption and high blood pressure. That means that teetotalers may have a slightly higher blood pressure. That's the little uptick of the letter J. And people with excessive alcohol intake have a much higher blood pressure. That's the big uptick of the letter J. And remember, heavy alcohol consumption is defined as more than eight drinks a week for women and more than 15 drinks a week for men. And one drink is a 12-ounce beer, five ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of liquor like rum, vodka, bourbon, tequila, or whiskey. Stress is a big contributor to high blood pressure too. Stress can elevate blood pressure temporarily and long-term stress is even worse. Remember, blood pressure damages organs over time. So a short-term elevation is not going to cause end organ damage like long-term elevation does. Whenever we are stressed, our body releases adrenaline, which causes blood vessels to clamp down or vasoconstrict. Remember the water hose analogy? In order to get more flow through a narrower vessel, you need higher pressure. So learn to manage your stress through prayer, deep breathing, time in nature, reading, listening to soothing music, and deepening your spiritual faith. Social connection is important too. Turns out having friends is good for your health. Social connection increases your sense of belonging and purpose. And people who are socially connected have a built-in mechanism that can help with stress management and avoidance of excess alcohol use. Poor sleep habits affect health in a dramatic way. People who sleep less than six hours a night are more likely to have hypertension. Obstructive sleep apnea affects the quality of sleep, and it's associated with many health problems, including high blood pressure. There are many ways to improve sleep, like reducing caffeine late in the day, not drinking alcohol within three hours of bedtime, hydrating late in the afternoon, and avoiding screen time in the evening. Doctors who practice lifestyle medicine can help you improve in all six areas. In a later episode, we'll do a quick overview of the medications used to treat hypertension. I want to mention the InterHeart study. This study identified five risk factors that accounted for 80% of the risk associated with heart attack. Hypertension was one, along with smoking, high cholesterol, diabetes, and obesity. Hypertension is also a risk factor for stroke. Other risk factors include current smoking, abdominal obesity, an unhealthy diet, physical inactivity, diabetes, alcohol intake, psychological stress, depression, cardiac causes, and high cholesterol. Are you seeing a pattern here? Controlling high blood pressure is important and it's achievable. You should take your medications as prescribed by your healthcare provider, but also consider the benefits of lifestyle medicine. Changes in lifestyle may keep you off medication in the first place, allow a reduction in dosage, or even discontinuation. I'm not here to tell you what you should do. I'm here to help you succeed in what you want to do. And most people can't do it alone. They need someone to come along beside them to successfully implement change. The better relationship you have with your healthcare provider, the more likely interventions will work. Your provider should connect with your values and your desires and motivate you to make the changes you want to make. 
If you're ready to make some good changes in your diet, you'll be glad to know that blood pressure levels drop proportional to a diet that's more plant-based. Notice I said plant-based. I'm not advocating for complete vegan or vegetarian, but I am suggesting moving toward choosing more plant-based foods. Hypertension is uncommon in people who eat a plant-based diet. There's an association between the amount of animal products consumed and high blood pressure. You can lower your blood pressure by increasing your dietary intake of potassium, which is found in fruits, especially cantaloupe, bananas, and peaches. It's also found in vegetables like squash, potatoes, sweet potatoes, broccoli, and spinach, legumes like white beans, lentils, soybeans, and lima beans. You also need a diet that's rich in calcium, which can be found in greens like bok choy, kale, collard greens, mustard greens, and turnip greens. And though they're good for you, chard and spinach are also high in oxalate, which actually reduces the absorption of the calcium they contain. The DASH diet recommends low-fat dairy for reduction of blood pressure. However, other studies show no reduction in the risk of a cardiovascular event. That's why it's recommended to use non-dairy milk, like soy, oat, or almond. Another important nutrient is magnesium, which is found in nuts like almonds, cashews, and even peanuts. It's also found in beans, such as black beans, soybeans, and kidney beans. Avocados also contain magnesium. So does quinoa and potatoes. And when you're cooking, add garlic not only for flavor, but its natural ability to lower blood pressure. I like to focus on making positive recommendations, but you need to know the impact of sodium is huge. And Americans get way too much salt in their diet on average. Reduction of sodium in the diet has a tremendous effect on high blood pressure. The American Heart Association says the ideal limit is less than 1,500 milligrams of sodium per day. But guess how much a typical American gets in their daily diet? Guess again, it's probably higher than you think. 75% of Americans consume 3,400 milligrams of sodium every day. Most of it comes from processed foods. Think hot dogs, bacon, deli turkey, pizza, canned veggies, and especially soup. Another big source is cheese. Go to your pantry and start reading labels for sodium content. Then try to reduce the amount of sodium intake each day. Also, consider reducing caffeine and especially tobacco use. I've given you a lot of information, but I recommend three main action steps. Number one, check your blood pressure. Number two, reduce sodium. And number three, make other lifestyle changes, such as managing your stress. Let's briefly review the medications used to treat high blood pressure for those of you who might be taking prescription medications. Thiazide-type diuretics act directly on the kidneys and work by increasing urine flow. One of the most commonly used ones is hydrochlorothiazide. On the bottle, it may say HCTZ. Calcium channel blockers limit how your body uses calcium, which is necessary for your heart and circulatory system. They do this by blocking the channels that regulate calcium, therefore slowing down the use of this important mineral by the cells. One of the most common calcium channel blockers is nifedipine, often branded Procardia. ACE inhibitors are another class of drugs. ACE stands for angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors. They work by causing the blood vessels to relax as well as decreasing blood volume. Common trade names for ACE inhibitors are enalapril and lisinopril. 
ARBs, A-R-B-S, stands for angiotensin II receptor blockers. They help relax blood vessels, which reduces the work needed by the heart to pump blood. Common brand names are Losartan, Kozar, Valsartan, Divan. Beta blockers are no longer recommended as the initial single therapy unless there's a particular reason besides just hypertension. They're usually used in combination with other medications. Drugs like atenolol, propranolol, or Lopressor block epinephrine or adrenaline. They work by slowing down the heart, which decreases force. They also widen the blood vessels, so flow is improved. All medications can have side effects. The risk of any medication must be weighed against the risk of not treating. Most people can take just one med, but for those who can't, there are certain medications that should not be taken together. Be sure and talk to your pharmacist or healthcare provider about drug-drug interactions. What is the goal? It's not to lower blood pressure for the sake of a number, but to lower the incidence of a cardiovascular event. You can learn to maximize your health by subscribing to this podcast. There are more resources available in my newsletter. I want to help you get healthy because healthy looks great on you. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not considered to be a substitute for medical advice. You should continue to follow up with your physician or healthcare provider and take medications as prescribed. Though the information in this podcast is evidence-based, new research may develop and recommendations may change.